0: you amen praise the Lord good morning all you want to turn to Genesis a moment Genesis chapter 24 and have that open before you if you're here for the first time there should be a sheet on your seat which you can follow Genesis chapter 24 We've been doing a series really designed for the church and for helping churches to grow, whether they have stalled as churches or whether it's a new church plant. And the series is called Ready, Steady, Go. That all churches should be ready in prayer, steady in discipleship, and going in evangelism. And we're on that last part, the go bit. In fact, this is the very last message in this series. Look at me a moment. Listen to this. They reckon that the most prolific years of a Christian's life are the first two. Statistically, most, if you took it across the whole world and the whole church, the most productive years are the first two. And after that, people don't lead as many people to Christ. Now, you could be an exception to that, and I hope you are, and I intend to be, amen. They're just, you know, statistics are like that. And I remember when I got saved, I was telling everybody about the Lord and someone came to me and kind of put me down a bit they said oh yeah it'll only last two years and then your enthusiasm will run out just like all the others before you and I remember making a commitment at that time saying that is not going to happen me I'm going to make myself be an exception to that rule I don't care about that statistic that's a sad thing Because this, you know, living evangelism is a bit of what we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. That what's different about evangelism in the last days? Is anything different? Well, I would put it to you that something is very, very different. And that is that the church should get an awareness of itself, of herself as the bride like never before. And that that prophetically is your destination And should be something we're intentionally working for, working towards. And we've been looking at ways in which that should happen or can happen. So I got saved. I was radically evangelistic, maybe like a lot of you. And I can remember how I evangelized in those first few years. Because after training, it wasn't quite as good. So... If I can think back to when I got saved, I've had no training, I've just come into the church and I'm leading people to the Lord all over the place, but how? I remember one particular guy, he came to the church and I said, hi, you know, I'm not long saved myself, are you a Christian? No, and I started talking to him, his name was Clayton and I sort of took responsibility for him because no one else really did. And off Clayton went and he never came back. Typical, you know, somebody comes in, never returns to the church. But I got his name and I got his address and I kept praying for Clayton. Now, no one's taught me how to evangelize. So what I'm doing is I'm praying. And every now and again, God would speak to I felt the voice of God. Write to Clayton and tell him about this. And a couple of months would go by, write to Clayton and tell him about that. So I would. And I think I got up to about six months and about five letters. And on the fifth letter, he walks into the church and he slaps the fifth letter down in front of me and says, How do you know? How do I know what? How do you always know what's going on in my life? There must be a God. In fact, the last letter I'd written to him was a strange letter about how to deal with death. Kind of scary. And yet his, his uncle, who's actually more like his father, his uncle had just died. And he was struggling to cope with that. And in comes the letter. So he was confounded and came back to the church. Do you know what that was? Nobody taught me how to do that, if you like. That was prophetic evangelism. And that's what I see in Jesus. It wasn't something that Jesus would quote parrot fashion, like a a learned-off-by-heart sermon. It was prophetic, right? I remember I was at a party again not long after, two, three, four weeks after I got saved. And I'm at a house party, and I'm telling everybody, I'm born again now. And it's this girl standing there, and I'm witnessing to her, but she's not listening. Same thing again. A scripture comes to me from Romans And I remember it to this day, the effect that prophecy had on that woman. I just quoted a line from Romans, and you would think I had knocked her out. It was powerful. And then what happens? You go to Bible college. It's not always good, you know, because they can knock the stuffing out of you, and they can train you to the point where you're no longer reliant on God. You're reliant on on some, you know, learned routine And it's not quite as prophetic. Right? Amen? It's very true. Very true. And people know. If you're witnessing to them, they know. If you're just going back over some old rapport you've got with the gospel. The gospel's at its best when it's prophetic. It's at its best when it's meeting just like with Christ. The individual need. There's a plethora of needs out there. The gospel's at its best in this. And I, I think with, to some degree, do I, am I despising training? You must be joking. I've been to Bible college twice, right? I don't despise training. I love training. I know the value of it. And I would encourage you, you know, to pursue training with all your might. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But what I'm saying is I know the dangers of it as well. If I'm not careful, it, it can stifle God. And I can box God out. So over these last few weeks, in in terms of evangelism, and you can study evangelism a thousand ways, but in terms of evangelism, I want to talk about the last days. In Genesis chapter 24, and I won't read this today, but in Genesis 24, in verse 1, it's a prophetic picture of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife, see this? You will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac, I won't read it all, folks, but you know what this is? There's three people involved in this discourse right here. There's Abraham, who is God the Father. There's the servant he sends out, who represents the Holy Spirit at work in the world. And of course, there's Isaac, the son. And this is a prophetic picture right at the beginning of the book, telling you something. And what it's telling you is this. The whole thing is about a wedding the whole story of the human race why did God make people because he wanted a bride It see Jesus is the eternal son of God eternal didn't come into existence when Jesus came the Lord Jesus Christ the Lord part means that he has existed as a son forever he is the eternal son of God and this is everything has a mirror image in the Old Testament you know And there you have that prophetic picture that God the Father sends the Holy Spirit into the world to seek a bride for His Son. We find this emphasized at the beginning of the book, emphasized in the middle of the book, and emphasized at the end. In fact, turn to Revelation. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7. Take a look at this. Another end times prophecy that concerns you and me. Revelation 19 verse 7 hallelujah for the lord god almighty reigns let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready you see that fantastic talking about the church in the last days and it's saying that the bride will make herself ready now that tells me that there's probably a readiness you know to be had that in some ways the church is not ready There's some preparations I need to do. And by the way, just as a word of caution, let me say this. What would happen you if you didn't make yourself ready? What would happen a Christian who was alive in the last days and didn't heed that scripture? The bride has made herself ready well Jesus told many other parables to warn about that remember the parable of the ten virgins five wise five foolish five were ready for the wedding for the return of the groom and five were not and friends if you open your eyes and you truly see do you know the world at the moment there's like two parties going on there's one is almost like a stagnite do you know what a stagnite is I lived in Dublin for many years Dublin is the stagnite capital of Europe And hen night. A stag night is the night where a man, before he gets married in the world, he gets all his mates, and they go off out and they get drunk, and he tries to pick up any girl he can. And that's a stag night, folks. And Dublin is the European capital of stag nights. You'll see the hen nights, where the girls walk around with all their little bubbles on and all that sort of stuff. Same kind of thing. Just before the wedding. Cool. Imagine getting married to someone like that. Imagine them turning up at the, at the altar the next day. I don't know about you. had would push them off the altar, I think. Right? I can see in the world two parties. Jesus was right. Five wise, preparing in godliness, separation from the world, and five foolish. Five. Do you know, if you had gone out on the town, and I'm talking about someone who spent a, a long time in nightclubs... When you wake up the next day, do you know the effect it has on you? Your senses are dulled. It dulls your senses. Imagine turning up at your wedding day of all days. Not in your right senses. My wedding day was by far the happiest day of my entire life. By far. Because I was able to marry the only woman I have ever fully and truly loved. And my senses were up and ready for that day. And I see two things. I see like a stag party and I see that those five foolish virgins are in risk as Jesus told of being left behind. But I also see that some are listening. Some, the bride, are making themselves ready, preparing themselves for what's about to happen. Last week we looked at the prodigal son. We looked at him sinking down into the mire and coming back out of it. Remember? Do you remember the transition line? There's one line in Luke chapter 15 that talks about the time of change for the prodigal son. Do you know what it says? Look at me a moment. Listen. When he came to his senses. Friends, please, don't underestimate the effect of the world on your senses. Just living in this world is enough to dull our Christian senses. And years ago, I I wrote this, these Sights, Hearing, Taste, two, three years ago, something like that. Pastor Fred actually just showed me a note a pastor in Pakistan passed to him with the very same list. Praise God. One God, amen? Telling the church the same thing. When the prodigal, I think the prodigal is a picture of the bride in the last days, you see? It's a picture of many things. But one of the things the church will do, how does a bride make herself ready? The bride comes back to her senses and begins to prepare ourselves for this day. Now all the the Jews believe all our body parts have corresponding attributes and things, you know, within God. For instance, the Bible mentions God's kidneys and all sorts of things because we're made in God's image. So each one of these senses also has, if you like, a counterpart in God. When it talks about sanctifying our sight, that's where you get your vision from. Got vision? How are your senses? Have you got vision for your life? Our hearing, well, that's the prophetic word, obviously. Tasting is very much, you taste and see the Lord is good. The sense of taste would reflect the comfort that you can receive from God, and smell would represent discernment. So I want to just take a few moments this morning and, and run through these senses, because how does a bride make herself ready? How are we collectively going to do that? And how does the church do that in the last days? Well, I would vouch largely by looking at these senses and preparing, coming back to our senses, if you like, both mentally and physically. The first one then, sight. Sight is is hugely important. And I think there's an almighty attack upon your vision like there has never been in the whole of history. We live in a society where every single thing is... Whether they want to sell toothpaste or tiddlywinks. It's sex that's used to sell it. That's just the world we're in. There is an almighty battle on for your sight. Don't underestimate it. For your vision. Right? Without a vision, the church will perish. What the word perish there means, you'll have the form but not the function. You'll be sitting in the seat... But you won't be doing anything. You won't be connected truly to the prophetic purpose of God. Without a vision, people perish. And we shared our vision here several, over several weeks in the different congregations at great length. And I, I said that morning, but I know people don't listen to me. You need to fight for that more than any other thing. If I was the devil, man, I would want to get the vision out of you. And when the vision is being spoken or being preached, I would try and stop your ears, shut your eyes. Because if I can do that, you will perish. You won't know where you're going. And there is a, right now, there is a fight. There was a fight for the prodigal son to get his vision into the world. Right? See, this is where materialism comes from, you know? Materialism and, you know, avarice, that type of thing, comes from what you see. You go shopping. You had no intention. You had no desire for that dress. I didn't mean to look at you, Jim. I was just saying that at the time. You had no desire for that dress. You had no desire for that pair of shoes. But you know what you did? You saw it. And the very same thing that happened to Eve was that Eve saw the fruit and it says when she saw the fruit and she saw that it was desirable... Something entered her. It's a change of vision. And so there's a massive fight between God and the devil, between the flesh and the spirit for your vision, for what you see. And I think if the devil can mess us up at this primary stage, he's really done a good job. So, I mean, I don't know what happened to me early, but I've had pretty good vision all my life in terms of prophetically and Christian things. And I thank God for that. Maybe it's because of the job. But I don't see it in enough people remember that my, my favorite sermon pastor really mentioned it this morning an remember if you've been here more than five minutes you know what that means right and Jesus lifting up the bread and the word there in the Greek is the word an looks up looks up and it doesn't mean looks up at all isn't it terrible translations it doesn't mean looks up it says Jesus lifting up the bread he needs a miracle need a miracle how does he get the miracle? Jesus lifting up the bread receives sight. Receive, that's what the Greek says. He received sight into himself. Vision for what his father was just about to do. God was just about to multiply that bread. Jesus did nothing of himself. Where do miracles come from? Where does vision come from? There is more junk taught on this topic, because it's a real key point, there's more rubbish in Christian circles on vision than probably any other subject. They've got it so wrong. See this thing just like the world. Jesus got it right. He looked to see what the Father was going to do in the miracle. What are you going to do, Dad? Lifting up the bread, he looked up, received sight, received the vision of what was about to happen and thus the miracle came forward. And Anoblibo was exactly how we should live. I was with the young adults this week and I was sharing with them just about that. I went to America many times for about a five-year period. My job was to teach on missions and to go to Bible colleges and very large churches and talk with young people coming out of Bible college about where they were going in life and trying to help them move into church planting. Person after person after person. hi boy after girl after boy after girl would come to our table and say I've got a vision for what God's going to do with me next I've got a vision next and they just keep on moving keep on going and every now and again you meet someone like Pastor Elia, who comes and says I want to serve the kingdom actually I want to serve in the kingdom I want to see what God's doing and be part of that. I think that's exactly right. And vision is not about you, friends. And any vision you pursue, it will take you on a wild goose chase, and you'll be chasing it for the rest of your life. The, the vision a person gets is the vision Jesus said, I do nothing except that which I see my there's his vision. Vision is what God is doing, and, and my part in that. When I really have a vision. I look into the city I look at my life and I'm looking for what God is doing and I do that right that's exactly what Jesus did as I say the world has done a very good job of messing our vision up and I just ask you this morning how's your vision now collectively I think we're bang on track that doesn't mean you individually have got that you know you need to fight for that like everybody else and that means we'll come to it in a moment fighting against the world and its effect on your vision. So first of all, get your sight back, church. Get your sight back. Secondly, there's hearing. And week after week after week after week, someone will come to you and say, if you're a cell leader or a discipler, Pastor, I don't seem to hear from God anymore. I just don't seem to get words from God. And I always have a pretty you know, standard answer to that because it's pretty simple. You're hearing from something. So what are you listening to? Have you got a friend who's a gossip? Have you read that, what it says in here about gossips and listening? Is that why you're not hearing? What are you listening to? EastEnders? God. So you're going to listen to EastEnders with one ear and then turn the other one to God? I don't think we're in business here. I, I heartedly believe in sanctified hearing. In devoting my hearing to God. And Jeanette is fantastic at this. Ever since the first day I've met her, if someone would come with gossip, she's off. (laughs) Just bye. No ear. You're not getting in my ear. I want to hear from my God. I will keep my ears sanctified. Right? When someone says to me they're not hearing from God themselves, it's always kind of worrying about where their relationship is at. Pastor Illumide did a fantastic series there recently on Sunday evenings called Faith Works, and it was about the Word of God. And you know when you're talking about faith, the Bible's very important, obviously, because it's faith in the Logos, faith in the written Word. But in what we're talking about this morning, the written Word wouldn't take preeminence, really, because we're talking about the Bride of Christ, and that's really the Rhema. In other words, it's your relationship with God. It's you personally hearing. Now, once again, I ask you, where's your senses? Have you come to your senses, church? And churches around the world, where are your senses? The prodigal came to his. And I believe it's a prophetic picture for us to come to ours. I have a friend, a very wealthy individual actually, who blesses me financially from time to time. I'm very grateful for him. He's been a, a good friend by my side for many years. And one day he, he calls up and says, I, I need to see you because I'm in trouble. I feel backslidden. My life's not right. I want, I want to talk to you. I said, okay, no problem. Let's meet. And we get together and I want to get to the bottom of the problem. What is your problem? Why should you say that you feel backslidden? And I was asking him some invasive questions, you know, trying to find out where he's at. And I asked him this question. Tell me, how do you hear from God? And he's a smart bloke, you know. He sat quiet for a while. How do I hear from God? And then he came up, ah, I know, through you. (laughs) Through you. I hear through your sermons all the time. Ah, there's your problem because that's second hand you know and how do you hear from God friends is it personal is it one to one is it you and Jesus or is it the God channel again how do you actually how's your senses how's this sense this is a very important sense for Christians Jesus put it like this he said man my friend he was not really living you see Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word. Now bread's not bad. Here you are, here's bread. <laughs> Anyone want some bread? Bread is what you get on Sunday in the church. Bread is what you listen to on Premiere or UCB or the God Channel. That's fine. It's secondhand word if you like, if I can put it that way. But it's not you and God. And Jesus separated the two. He said, if you're going to be healthy, man shall not live on bread alone. Not that there's anything wrong with bread but on every personal word that comes from me to you, personally to you. And the trouble again with our church in in this era, our senses are dulled. We get a second-hand diet and then wonder why so many perish. Remember, 45 to 80% of the nutritional value of any processed food is lost when you get second-hand food. So no wonder... Christians end up famished. So I ask you, how's that sense in you? Do you personally hear from God? So, see, I say to my friends, you know what? Put the tapes away. Put the books away. Put everything away. Keep your Bible. Right? Turn the God channel off a minute. And get your Bible. And get back to your Savior, bride. Where's your relationship? The bride has made herself ready. And hearing is just one of those things. There is nothing like a personal word. So your sight, the devil will fight you for. Your hearing, the devil will fight you for. And tasting, taste and see that the Lord is good. And this largely reflects, you know, human appetites. And we covered this last week when we looked at the early stages of the prodigal. You know, I don't know what your picture of King David is. David being the man after God's own heart. But I got this kind of picture in my mind of what David is like, you know? Do you know what David said one day? Did you ever see Silence of the Lambs? I haven't seen the movie. I've seen the adverts. And you know in that advert, what's his name? Anthony Hopkins, right? And he's called Hannibal Lecter, right? And on his face, what has he got? A metal muzzle. He's got a cage, right? Right? And if you take a look at at, at, at Anthony Hopkins' face in those billboards and everything, kind of scary. But you know what David said? You know what David says here in the Psalms? I put a muzzle on my flesh. David, King David, the man after God's own heart, David. And you would look at Hannibal Lecter there or whatever and you'd think, David would never, I could never perceive David like that. But that's how David perceived his flesh. David said, I put a muzzle on my flesh like a mad dog. And I subdue it so that it will serve the Lord. In fact, the Apostle Paul said very similar. I beat my body into submission. Isn't it funny the more godly these guys get, That the more they realize, i got to keep that down. That's your taste right there. That's developing a taste for the things of the Spirit. Taste and see that the Lord your God is so good. And you will lose the taste of this world. And David had learned to muzzle himself so that he might enjoy the fruit of the kingdom. I've had a few major experiences with God in my life and I'm not an experiential sort of guy. It's not like me, but a couple of times I've had big intervention by God and one of them was the day after my baptism. Doesn't matter what we did, but I had a lot of sacrifice to do to be baptized, you know. It cost me a lot. And a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of grief. I ended a relationship, all that kind of stuff to come to Christ. And I was kind of hurting. And baptism day came, and many of my friends came, and I got baptized, blah, blah, blah. And I got up the next morning. Now, Andrew Womack, many of you will have heard of him, he tells a story about how at the beginning of his Christian life, God kind of raptured him for like a whole three or four month period. He had just ecstasy for a long period. And then God took it from him. And he said he ended up depressed after it. He couldn't cope with not having that closeness with God. Well, this is what happened to me. The day after, not three or four months, but the day after my baptism, I got up. Praise God. I go in and I sit down in my apartment. And all of a sudden, just... wow! I can only describe what happened as... Bliss, ecstasy, rapture. And for about twenty minutes, ayahuay, waves of most beautiful, wonderful presence of God filled that room. It was fantastic, absolutely fantastic, and just as gently as God had come to me he left I wow taste and see that the Lord is good and that took a muzzling of, of me if you like my wild life I turned like the prodigal and I came to I muzzled myself and entered in to the joy of the kingdom life in all its fullness how's your senses? sight? hearing? tasting touch in Isaiah chapter 52 verse 11 it says come out of her my people and touch no unclean thing many people see that as a prophecy for the bride in the last days that it refers to touching in other words there's going to be a, a great apostasy a great falling away in these coming years probably very soon the, the, the harlot church will rise up and it will become very clear and that that prophecy refers to us the last generation telling us come out of her my people and stand strong stand together sight how's your sight hearing do you taste do you enjoy the kingdom if not you need a muzzle (laughs) touch we need to separate ourselves set ourselves apart And lastly, smell. And smell really speaks of discernment. I smell a rat. (laughs) Like over in the other building, right? Smell speaks of discernment. And there's not enough. Again, sorry for using Jeanette all the time as an example, but one of the things Jeanette has consistently said about the church is that in all the churches we've ever been in is one of the weakest senses is smell. One of the weakest things is the ability to discern. Not long ago, there was a major event in the world and it was all over our televisions. Doesn't matter who or what, it's irrelevant. But I remember the first week or whatever and that came on. I I came home and Jeanette was watching that. And this was a major Christian event. Not right. I remember instantly I said to her, that's not right. Who is that? What is that? She said, what's so-and-so? I said, it's not good and I left it for a couple of days and then one day I went in and it was on again I said you know what I want it off and I don't want it back on the television ever again right that's it I don't want to see it in this house and I remember coming to church to you one person actually Gordon came to me and said do you know that thing that's on the telly it's not right I said I know I know but there wasn't enough discernment. It took about four or five weeks before the whole thing came out and then the whole world knows there wasn't enough discernment, friends. The truth, the reality of, about our senses are revealed in such things. Right? And it really shows us up for where our sight is, where our hearing is. Pastor, have you got a word for me? Whether we're enjoying the kingdom and whether we can actually discern What does it mean in the book of Revelation when it says in the last days the bride, that's you, has made herself ready? Well, in my opinion, it means that she doesn't turn up at the marriage supper of the Lamb after a stag night. She turns up prepared. Remember Esther? Six months of preparations set apart so that she could go to the king. It's a prophetic picture. And in terms of evangelism, you know, you could say to me, make your mind up. Are you going to talk about the bride or are you going to talk about evangelism? In In the book of Song of Songs, the bride and evangelism are the same thing. In the book of Revelation, when you get to the end of the book, the bride and evangelism are the same thing. And all those doctrinal bits, like the Middle Ages, when people would listen to our discussions and listen to our debates... You know, you know, pre-modernity, modernity, and post-modernity. Pre-modernity, they just said, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir. They obeyed anything. Pre-modernity. Modernity is when modern man in the Middle Ages, the Enlightenment, in Europe, they started to say, hang on, Father, hang on, Vicar, I have an opinion. But post-modernity, there's no debate. I don't actually have a Bible. I'm not interested in your Bible. But the Bible says, I know what the Bible says. <laughs> it's a completely different world utterly different world and they're actually walking down our streets they're in your colleges they're in your workplaces and they're looking for that age-old thing which is love that's what they're looking for and if they could only see in you a love for your savior a preparedness a setting apart this book tells me that prophetically that is the thing that wins the world at the end of time and I can see it. I can see it in our streets. I can see it in our cities. I can see it in the world. All we've got to do is prepare for it. Turn our hearts back to Christ. Sharpen your senses. Look at this list. Analyze yourself this morning. Today's the National Day of Prayer, and we've all been asked to be brief in our messages and to spend at least 10 minutes or so in prayer. So I'm going to ask Pastor Elia to come and we're going to pray for some certain things all over the nation just about now churches are praying they're praying for the country praying for the lost praying for whatever god puts on your heart so why don't you stand this morning and we're going to close out doing exactly that thank you for listening to today's program i trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join up. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.